Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. In this episode of Saltivation, we talk with Paul Williams, Senior Tax Correspondent at Law360, about how he selects newsworthy topics to cover in the state and local tax universe. We talk about boomerang issues when old concepts get new life in the court systems and trending issues across the nation. Listen in. Hey, Paul. Well, thank you for so much for your time today and for joining us. It's, it's great to have you here. Yes. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So we understand that you transitioned into reporting on state and local tax about five years ago um, for Law 360, and which is, you know, a big props to you for kind of volunteering, maybe volunteering to step into this kind of realm that Judy and I live in on a day-to-day basis. When you heard you were assigned or kind of picking up some state and local tax, what were your initial thoughts? So I had applied at Law 360 for a state and local tax reporter position. So, uh, you know, I knew that I was you know, going to be learning a lot more about uh, the state and local tax world. I didn't understand, you know, or have a clue about all the intricacies that that are involved in it. Um, so I was definitely ready to learn. And I kind of joined at a, at a good time uh, to really be immersed in the whole world because I was hired in January of 2018. And then, of course, Wayfair came down, you know, six months later. And prior to that, you know, I didn't know. I knew generally, you know, online sales are not taxable. I had no idea why. Um, Quill, physical presence, economic nexus, that was all stuff that I just, you know, I didn't know in my prior reporting jobs, which generally focused on like local government budgets and things like that. Yeah, it was just, I didn't know what to expect. And I learned very quickly that there's there's a lot, you know, here in, in the state and local tax world. And it was just, you know, kind of had to hit the ground running and um, you know get up to speed as, as quickly as I could, uh, especially in the sales tax realm with, with Wayfair being you know being issued you know just six months after. What yeah. do you think was the like hardest concept to kind of get your head around or to like really kind of like grasp? And don't worry, we uh, probably still haven't grasped that concept yet. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I was going to say a caveat though with you know I, I don't think there's any concept I've, I've fully mastered yet in the last five years, but uh, definitely anything that that dealt with you know like multi-state apportionment or you know taxation of partnerships and and things of that realm. That's just you know I'd read an opinion or a bill uh, just to see what was going on and something that we may report on, and it's just all the intricacies and you know all the, the complexities and various factors that that go into that. Uh, it's really something that was, you know, kind of challenging, especially at first to uh, to wrap my head around. And, you know, even still today, I know obviously the, the multi-state tax commission has got their partnership project and we've written about that. And, uh, you know, it's definitely very complex and, uh, you know, heady, heady area. Um, but I, I think initially that was anytime I saw some type of multi-state apportionment or, or partnership, I'd kind of get palpitations at first and say, okay, right. you know, what, what do I... <laughs> Yeah, what do I need to understand about this now to, to write about it? And taxpayers really don't understand it. So they get very agitated. They always think it's a one-size-fits-all approach. Why can't I do exactly what's in my own state and reapply that across the nation? I mean, they don't get it. I don't think a lot of tax preparers understand it because they work hard on federal. There's a lot to pay attention to there. And then the ripple, triple down effect. So it's it's just sort of a convoluted area. I think it's just, and the thing that's fascinating to me is not every case matters to every client, right? So Wayfair is probably the largest, more broadest reaching case we've, I've 
besides Quill and some of that historically. Um, but you don't really see these, these different cases like the Maryland digital advertising tax that's been enacted, right? That only affects a certain type of taxpayer. So not everything is broadly applicable. So these bits and pieces can have a smaller effect or a larger effect depending on the taxpayer. So it's kind of interesting to decide how to report on it and why it matters. This is why people go, oh, I don't want to know this. I just want to apply the same rules of the state of where I'm you know, headquartered kind of thing. So yeah, if you feel that way, imagine taxpayers feel that way. You're like studying it, reading it. And they don't want to read it at all. So it's a lot to read. I guess that's where you know, firms like yourself come in. <laughs> and people like you to put the news out for us. So we can we can't read every little thing either. We don't have the time or the bandwidth or the money to just give that up for free, right? So we count on resources such as yours to keep us up to speed on things that we can't be having our tentacles in every single moment of every day. We're grateful for co- companies such as yours that exist. Right. So then so then Paul, how do you determine what's newsworthy and like reportable and like what's worth your time? which then in turn is worth our time. Sure. Well, uh, you know, like any news organization, you know, we have, uh, you know, team of news assistants and, uh, you know, reporters that, you know, kind of collaborate and look at uh, issues or or trends that are out there that, you know, warrant coverage. Um, You know, at Law360 in general, you know, tax is just one one wire for them. You know, we do a lot of reporting on legal source documents, uh, you know, court opinions, briefs, legislation, and, you know, typically if there's any type of appellate court case uh, involving tax, that's generally going to be, you know, newsworthy, um, you know, but we do have, uh, my editor has an LLM in tax. She was a practitioner for uh, for several years. So, you know, so she's always helpful at, you know, guiding things. We look at stuff and say, is this important? Is this not? Um, but, you know, you're right. There is so much content out there, you know, thousands and thousands of, of bills and, you know, probably hundreds of court cases every day that have legal briefs filed in them. Uh, yeah, we do check in regularly with, uh, you know, with sources, uh, you know, tax practitioners, state officials to some extent to, you know, just kind of see what they're seeing out there, what trends are, you know, what what could be coming, you know, down the pike as far as anything that warrants news coverage. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it just comes down to, you know, news judgment as well. And if we see something that, you know, a bill that's maybe moved out of a tax writing committee, okay, that, you know, obviously has some interest in, in the state house. Uh, you know, what could it change? What could it mean? You know, as far as corporate income tax, sales tax, whatever it is. Yeah, any any type of court ruling involving, uh, you know, state and local tax is definitely something we look at. Uh, and, you know, going from there, sometimes if, it's, if a case is, you know, large enough and warrants, you know, further coverage throughout, uh, you know, we'll monitor dockets or any type of movement on it and, you know, report on briefs and, and things of that nature, uh, you know, any type of filing um, until there's a final outcome. Yeah, and sometimes it's even hard just to, you know, follow those cases all the way through. Yeah, because yeah, I used to get like every day I would, I used to have a feed that gave me every single proposed bill and it was just sort of overwhelming. I couldn't keep it up. I, I cannot read all that and pay attention. And what if it doesn't get traction and make it to the next level and the next level? I mean, we, we follow bills even locally in our Colorado Association of Commerce and Industry. We have a very active task council. So we're tracking with every bill that um, gets sent and I don't think we knew about that delivery fee that Colorado instituted before it was a few months before it was enacted because it was in a different type of legislation, non-tax. So that's kind of an interesting issue. But we follow that. But if it's not, if it's written and proposed and then voted on, and then is it going to go and who's going to vote on it? And so we always know that, like how it's going to roll out. And then we make a decision if it's going to enact, to act and speak or write or oppose or 
let's say we acquiesce, we're happy with the choice. So we put that in actively. And I know that happens a lot with the other societies um, across our nation. And so, but you can't, you know, because you just don't know. I mean, sometimes things get killed at a committee, you know, so it is interesting how bills get done. And the, it's a very time consuming, pro- consuming process to get to the final point of vote. Oh, sure. And, you know, there are often, you know, we'll track bills, um, you know, especially, like I said, if they're reported out of a, a tax writing committee, and, you know, sometimes you don't see the move until the end of session. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. they'll get inserted into a conference committee at midnight and then voted on. And you have to catch up the next day. Uh, yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, that's just one thing that, you know, there, there's there's a large volume out there. Um, but we do spend a good amount of time trying to track those to the, to the extent we can, you know, just to see as soon as something moves again, you know, maybe it's, you know, it's picked up interest in the legislature. And are you guys in connection with like lobbyists at all? So you kind of know who's trying to push some bills forward? Because it seems like a lot of traction gets done with the lobbying coalitions out there. Sure. I, I know I've talked to a, to a few lobbyists um, over the last few years uh, at Law 360. Um, I can't speak for other reporters. I don't know if they're, you know, a, a major source, but there are some that, that we've connected with uh, sometimes who kind of can give us a heads up if something's moving or, you know, we can reach out to them and say, hey, this is coming up for a committee hearing. You know, do you have a stance on it? Uh, how much traction do you think this can get, um, you know, either on, on a floor vote or, or before the panel? So that is, um, you know, lobbyists are one source that we can go to. Uh, probably others would be certainly any type of policy think tanks in the States uh, that we're covering, um, even national ones. Of course, you know, Tax Foundation, ITEP, things like that. And, uh, you know, and also just tax practitioners, too, who maybe not be testifying, but are certainly following a bill. And, you know, we can chat with them and see what the bill may mean for their practice or or the industry in general. Yeah, which I know you do because you've reached out to different practitioners to get opinions on, you know, proposed legislation to see what the impact's going to be to the community. Yeah, because we even had a conversation like right after, I think it was almost right after the kind of public, the open public comment on the retail delivery fee for Colorado, you know, Judy and I had 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 a conversation with Law 360. And that was a fun one. <laughs> People are very upset about that. And I know, I mean, we're, we don't know. I mean, I think the, the jury is still out on whether we're going to get rid of that fee. There is a lot of ammunition against it. There, now that people know about it, they are just up in arms about it. So... Well, that'll be interesting too, just to see, because I think Colorado is kind of first of the first in kind to do that. If that holds true, whether or not, you know, other states are going to do it, because why not? If you can, why not? Well, that's where the problem goes. Once one starts, we see the ripple effect. Right. We've never seen laws in my entire 27 plus year career. I've never seen laws enacted by every state within a period of two years. And every state has a Wayfair law now. That's crazy. Of that momentum since 2018. Well, and I'm getting my first wine club shipment, a post delivery fee, and there it is, 27 cents. I was very surprised. I just got something, and there was no delivery fee from a Colorado taxpayer. So I need to make them aware of it because they're actually a client because they didn't impose it. So somehow, some way, they didn't get word of it. So whatever shipment they sent didn't have the 27 cents collected from me. So we're not seeing full compliance on this fee because it's not a simple thing to enact into your invoicing systems. Paul, I know, you know, we've kind of talked about some cases and, you know, what, you know, from our position, we have a differing kind of what's interesting, what's not. And you had mentioned kind of that Zilka case out of Philadelphia that had to do with 
you know, residency, non-residency, credit for taxes paid to another state. So what were some of those issues there? And, you know, why was that kind of a topic worth following? The Commonwealth Court opinion, you know, kind of jumped off the page because it said that essentially Philadelphia did not have to credit the attorney, Diane Zilka, for her Delaware state income taxes paid. And it had mentioned the Supreme Court's win decision, which said that Maryland needed to credit, you know, some people there for taxes paid in another state against the county tax. And the so right away, it would kind of seem to be potentially a, a split or some type of distinction from a U.S. Supreme Court case involving taxes paid to another jurisdiction. Uh, so, you know, again, right off the bat, it just seemed like something that was that was worth following. And so essentially the case is the woman, um, she's an attorney, lives in Pens- Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and would commute to Wilmington, Delaware to work. And she paid about 3% of Pennsylvania's income tax. Philadelphia has a wage tax, which is among the highest, if not the highest in the nation, at about 3.92% at the time. And then she paid Wilmington, Delaware's 1.25% tax and Delaware's state tax of, of 5%. And so essentially, Pennsylvania credited her for state income taxes paid to Delaware, so that wiped out her Pennsylvania tax liability. Philadelphia credited her for Wilmington's tax, which is about one and a quarter percent. And so there was a balance left over of the remaining Delaware state income tax that she owed versus the balance of her Philadelphia wage tax. And Philadelphia said, no, we don't have to credit you for that. State taxes are are different from local taxes. And, you know, the Commonwealth Court upheld that. It went to a trial court prior to that. And it also found found for the city. So one line from the the opinion, it says uh, that from the Commonwealth Court, it said, contrary to taxpayers' assertions, when that Supreme Court case does not compel Philadelphia to apply an additional credit for any dissimilar taxes, such as the Delaware tax. So, you know, the, the case is on appeal now. It's before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. They've accepted review. Um, there's still briefing that's due uh, and then oral argument uh, probably later this year or maybe early next year. But it's it's a case that some practitioners that we talked to said, you know, it it really some thought that it ran counter to win. Some thought that maybe it's the court could take a chance to clarify when and when local taxes need to be offset or when a credit to another jurisdiction. Whether you need to be issued a credit for taxes paid to another jurisdiction. So it just it had a a, a lot of elements there that you know just kind of seemed seemed really newsworthy. And you know certainly we're dealing with a lot of complex multi-state issues that yeah. Uh, you know, the taxpayers are, or tax practitioners are following. Well, and I think this is such an, a pervasive issue. I, what I found in my career is that practitioners would say, oh, you get a credit for taxes paid in the state out, you know, the out-of-state tax. Well, that's not always true. First of all, you could have been a lower tax rate and you're making money in higher tax rate. You only get credit up to the lower tax rates. So you're going to still pay the difference. So that's always the case. It's only when the tax is higher in the state of larger income where the credit is worthy. And then you have this apples to apples comparisons of state, local counties. We have, you know, 13,000 jurisdictions in America that have a local rate. We have 30,000 water districts. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, We have a client that helps make websites for water districts. I didn't know there were 30,000 of them. So all of those have a tax base and a cost of, of, you know, giving you good water. Well, that's what we have at this local. So this, I think this is a really big deal. The win case was a really big deal because of, I think, unfortunately, this misperception in the tax community about the credit. And how the credit is taken against the taxes owed in different jurisdictions. And so this will be very interesting to see what happens. And then we have this layering of taxes. Like you said, there's a wage tax. 
Not every state has a wage tax. You know, we have an occupational privilege tax in Denver, Colorado, and four other cities. There's five total in Colorado, 68 bucks a year. Who's going to take that to law? Whether it's right or wrong, you're just going to pay it. So this woman, obviously an attorney, maybe a litigator, may be able to take a case like this up to the courts, but that's costly, time-consuming, and you still don't have an answer for three years. So we're grateful that people take these cases up so we can get some more clarity around what the intention is behind these taxes and how they should be applied. And these auditors, you know, they're doing the best they can with the information they have, but they need to collect the money. So it's a push-pull always, and not everybody can litigate these issues. So I'm very interested, and I think probably Law 360 is not the same, because this could affect a lot of people across our nation, um, and especially because we're seeing more local jurisdictions enacting local taxes, like this OPT we have. You're seeing more of that and not less, which is problematic if everybody wants a little bit. So, And then you're having more registrations with Wayfair, so you have more taxpayers getting you know, filing a Secretary, uh, Secretary of State or a sales tax registration in 46 states. They're on the dole now. They're known by the taxing community. The government knows them. You're going to have more issues that apply to all the taxpayers of America and, and abroad, frankly, that earn money in the U.S. So I think it's a very newsworthy issue, actually. I'll be very curious to see what happens here. Sure. And from you know the, the local government's uh, perspective, um, you know, I guess that there's could be a concern. Now, Philadelphia, when we had reached out to them for comment, uh, I'd asked if, you know, how important the kind uh, of reach for comment after the Commonwealth Court decision. I'd ask them if the uh, the decision was important for them to you know retain their their tax base or not have to offer uh, credits um, you know to kind of wipe out or zero out potentially their their wage tax or reduce their collections for it. And their stance was well, everyone just needs to pay their fair share of taxes to Philadelphia. But um, if you look at the city's annual comprehensive uh, financial report, I think it said that there's potential liability for up to 10 million for outstanding claims right now, uh, depending on the case's outcome. So that's a lot of money. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, <laughs> and it's, you know, so there is a revenue concern you would think on some level for the cities too. And I guess that goes to just, you know, the, where I live in New Jersey, you know, there's always this debate every year the budget comes around as to whether or not New Jersey should look at, you know, our, the state's practice of providing credits for workers who work mm-hmm. in New York for their New York work for their New York taxes paid. Uh, which New Jersey does, but yeah. So I mean, there 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 is a revenue concern for some instance for the you know the resident state or in this Philadelphia's case the resident locality about you know when to issue credits and, and when not to. I mean, the city made the the argument that their local tax is distinct from the county tax in Maryland because they administer it themselves. The county tax in Maryland was administered by the state, so they're you know arguing that it's it's just it's not apples to apples, and you know they're a home rule jurisdiction, so. Whether or not it's, you know, the Constitution requires a local government to credit state taxes paid elsewhere, uh, it's it's an issue that, you know, is, is before the court now. And some people think that's what Wynn said already, but it, it may not be clear. And uh, some practitioners say they hope that, you know, this case can can kind of clarify that. Well, these kind of these kinds of logistical issues and taxpayer specific factual scenarios are what create such a challenge for taxpayers to comply, to even pay the tax to the right bucket. And now we've got you know, we've got remote work, so she's probably not going to De- Wilmington, Delaware to commute to work in person anymore. So then is more of the money supposed to stay in Philly anyway, you know? Anyway, it's just all fact intensive and then how everybody gets a bit and a piece of the pie that you make. So I, I'm very, very interested to hear how this is all going to pan out. It's going to get people right. It's going to get people riled up and other governments are going to fall on board, even Colorado being a home rule state. I could, I, you never know what we're going to do sometimes. <laughs> 
what do you mean? We are very consistent, very confusing. Very We're very consist- consistently confusing. That's what we are. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.